This is Way Down East, home to small town stories and big conversations about Washington County, Maine. Here's your host, Sarah Craighead Edmund. Thanks for listening to Way Down East, the podcast about Washington County, Maine. As Bucks Harbor Harbor Master David Kale just mentioned, I'm your host, Sarah Craighead Dedman. As we air this, we're just coming to the close of apple season in Washington County, and today we're talking to Charlie Foster, co-owner of Relic Cider, Washington County's first hard cider business, which is not only about making delicious cider, but also about revitalizing some of Washington County's heritage apple orchards and the many historic varieties they still contain. If you love apples, and particularly if you have some apple trees you'd like to see flourish, you're going to enjoy this conversation. And stay tuned after for information on other apple-centric events in the Down East area. Charlie Foster, welcome way down east. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Sure, no problem. We're here to talk about Relic Cider, your new business, which we will all be enjoying the fruits of, pun intended, in 2024. So um, tell me about Relic Cider. What do you do? Yeah. So um, I guess, first of all, the name itself just comes from, you know, the word relic, which one of the meanings being, you know, something that was sort of lost to history and then rediscovered. And I think that fits a lot of the apples and orchards that you can find in Washington County. Um, So part of that is to sort of bring back that, you know, relic of the past and then, you know, have a use for it that gets people reinterested in Washington County's apples. So you're going around and you're harvesting apples from family orchards. Um, You explained to me that Washington County wasn't home so much to commercial orchards, but lots of these homesteads had their own orchards. And are we are you finding a lot of them? We're finding a lot. I think there's a lot more out there that we haven't found. Um, but yeah, so Washington County tends to be unique for the state of Maine in that, um, you know, big commercial orchards uh, never really took on here. But um, there are a lot of sort of family size, whether they be two trees, 10 trees, you know, 50 so trees that were just meant for sort of, you know, mostly like a barter economy. Some were shipped away, but it's, it's interesting to see because you have an old homestead. Usually you have a few trees nearby that were the ones they really liked. And then further off in the orchard would be, you know, another set of trees that were used for like trading and, and, you know, sharing and stuff like that. That's really cool. I grew up in an old house in New Hampshire and we had, we had an old orchard as well. We had pear trees and really old Baldwins. So I'm very, I'm very fond of old apple trees as well. So you run Relic Cider with your wife, Brittany Foster, and what inspired you to begin doing this? I think the biggest thing was uh, when we both moved up here about four years ago, um, just seeing the abundance of apples that first fall. And I mean, they're literally everywhere. And then once you start looking at them, you can't not find them pretty much everywhere you go on roadsides and fields and old abandoned orchards. You know, they're they're literally everywhere. And you know, some people use them. They might make a pie. They might have a little bit of use for some of the apples, but there are a lot of apples that aren't being used and the wild ones in particular, um, they're not great for eating in general, but they do make great cider. Mm, Wonderful. I think I read a headline recently in one of the Maine's daily papers that hard cider is actually becoming really popular in Maine. Have, have you read any statistics on that? Yeah, there's, uh, I think they called it Maine's uh, hard cider revolution or Renaissance or something like that. But I would say that's true. I mean, there are, sort of cideries popping up all over the state. Um, 
we're the only one in Washington County, but there's one, I think, coming online in Hancock soon. Okay. And several in, you know, the Midcoast and then down in Southern Maine. Um, and they're all, you know, doing different variations. Some do wild foraging like we do. Um, some they do a little mix of orchard apples and wild foraged apples. But it's really neat to see, you know, the, I think it's a, an industry that people help each other out with knowledge and they all share that enthusiasm. So that's one thing that's great. Yeah, it's so Maine and so New England. I think it I think I think it will do really well. So you have an Instagram account where people can go and look at Relic Cider and see photos of some of the apples that you're harvesting and truckloads and and bushel loads that you've found for, at various places. And one of the cider being bottled and it's this beautiful ruby color. Can you tell me a little bit about the process? I I've ground apples in the press up at Cops Cook Institute, which is I imagine maybe smaller than what you use. Where take us from like you pick the apple and now you're grinding it up. What do you do then? So um, we have a, um, you know, it's basically a, a commercial grade grinder. German made lovely machine. It, you can just dump a whole bushel of apples in there and it'll grind it right up in no time. Uh, that, so that's actually the fast part. And then you get a little bit slower when you get into pressing. Um, so to press the apple, so what we have after grinding is the pumice or pulp, and then that's put into a press. Ours is a hydro press. So it fills up a bladder in the middle of the press, and then it presses the pulp out into um, a grate around the edge of the press, and then that juice comes out and into a bucket or whatever you're using. Um, and it's pretty efficient. You know, you can get like 60% yields on the on the pulp that you put in there. So, um, but it does take a while. Um, you have to kind of be patient in that stage, and then we'll you know put those into fermenters and um, you know, from there, it's a even more patient process because, you know, fermentation takes a while. We do it, you know, underground in our cellar. So it's a controlled temperature. Um, and I think it mimics somewhat the experience that apples have in nature. So the fermentation might even, you know, stop during the winter for a while and then pick back up in the spring uh, just due to temperatures, yeah. which is pretty neat. And then, you know, you have you kind of plan for bottling that cider in the early spring. What what is the sort of target alcohol percentage that a hard cider has? I would say that the overall range most common would be like five to eight percent. Is that comparable to like wine or beer? It's uh it's more comparable to beer, although the process of making cider is almost exactly like wine. Um, so it's not it's not a beer making. There's no heat involved. You're not brewing anything. You're essentially substituting apples for grapes, and then doing the same process in a lot of ways. But the alcohol content is much less than a typical wine. Wines being, you know, 12 to 14%. What are some of the historic varieties you've been able to identify so far in your picking? There's an apple called the Tolman Sweet. And this is a, a pretty interesting apple. It's one that, like I mentioned earlier, they might keep a couple apples close to the homestead. And this would be one of them because um, historically that apple... It doesn't have much of a taste, but you can taste sort of the sweetness to it. But that apple, um, when you process it, it was used to make like a molasses-like substance. So it could be added to foods like sugar could. So that was typically close by. Um, so we, we do try to use that in the cider because it has a, a lot of sugar content and that kicks your alcohol content in the end up a bit. But there's been, you know, several ones we've kind of stumbled upon. Um, one really cool orchard uh, that we're, you know, just in discussions with the landowner on uh, has very different varieties that were brought over from Europe. My favorite probably being the Belle de Boscop, which is, uh, it's a pretty old variety, several hundred years old. And wow. 
um, yeah, it's a really, it's a russeted apple. So it's, it's skin is kind of, uh, you know, browned over and sort of rough. Mm, mm-hmm. And the flavor is, is really, really great for cider. In fact, in Germany, where it's super popular, there's a specific kind of apple wine that you can only make from that apple. You can't use any other apples. So highly coveted over there. It's fun to think about how it came to a Washington County homestead. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, there's, you know, the apple itself, you know, came over with Europeans. So they they would bring either bare root trees that could survive the journey, or more commonly, they just bring seeds. So with the arrival of, of Europeans, that's when the apple, it, it happened to find a place where it could thrive, uh, even more so than where it came from. So apples do better in New England than they do in England or in France. Well, I can believe that. I've never lived anywhere that has so many wild apples. And when I drive into Machias in these next few weeks, now that we're losing all of our leaves on the trees, I'm very fond of the way the apple trees look without leaves. They look like red Christmas balls, you know, and they're just trees laden with them all along the port road all the way into town. Maybe that's why we have so many deer. Yeah, it's it's definitely contributing for sure. I know that eventually your dream is to help landowners, you know, with their orchards. So tell me a little bit about what that might look like in the future. Yeah. So, I mean, right now we're just working with, you know, a few at this point, um, as we discover these, these old orchards, um, sort of talking to the landowner first, asking, Hey, can we, do you mind if we pick some of these apples? You know, we could pick you some for a pie if you're interested, stuff like that. And then talking to him about, you know, coming back in the, in the winter time, which is the best time for pruning and just starting to kind of clean up the orchard as best we can. Um, it's a, it's a slow process. It takes a number of years to kind of get back to uh, a more productive uh, plot of land. So just, I mean, I'm hoping one day maybe there there could be uh, a larger training program. I know Down East Coastal Conservancy does a pruning workshop already. But there's some uh, existing resources in place where we could even teach landowners to go out and sort of revitalize their own orchards, which is what one of the landowners is actually doing who we work with in Addison. So he's already begun that process just on his own and has seen some great results. Wonderful. Is it... Is it all to do with the tree or is it also to do with what's growing around the tree, under the tree? Yeah. So you want, uh, you want to have good airflow through the orchard. So that's why, you know, when you see a commercial orchard, it's just uh, neatly, neatly lined rows of trees, no real underbrush, just short grass. And then the trees themselves, you know, we're talking about older trees, which I happen to think make the best cider. Mm -hmm. And so they're, you know, they may be close to the end of their sort of natural lives, but um, which is about, you know, 200 years at the most typically, but a lot of them are, you know, 75 to 150 years old. So they still have plenty of time left. So part of this sort of future planning process is, can we teach people to, to graft and plant new trees and, you know, keep those orchards going using the same varieties. I know I in the past, I've never attended, but I've seen someone leads workshops in February. I guess that, that might be a nice time to prune. You can kind of stand on the snow and, and reach the branches. They, they do the scion wood exchange and grafting. I've never done that, but I'd like to participate if you, if you do that next year. Because I have a few, I, th- I think, wild apple trees on my property that, that yield quite a lot. One of them drops in August, like early. And then one of them drops in September, but they do yield quite a lot and they seem to have a healthy root. So that sounds like something we, you know, if we own apple trees, we should all plug in with you on that. How can landowners follow you and reach out to you if they want to talk to you about their orchard? Um, I would say you could reach out on uh, social media or Instagram at Relic Cider. 
I've got a Facebook page that that'll be uh, it's it's there, but I need to to add some stuff to it. To, I, I think that's probably more commonly used, so I'll have that up and running. That'll also be at Relic Cider, so that's probably the best way. Okay, great. And then if someone's listening and you don't have social media, you can email me, and I will connect you with Charlie and offline. And my email address is Sarah at WashingtonCountyAlmanac.com. I'm really looking forward to your cider, and I would also like to make cider donuts with it. Have you tried that yet? Oh, I love apple cider donuts yes um in fact we're talking about instagram i forget the name but there is a page where um, someone has gone around the state of maine and beyond to just check out all the apple cider donuts available so um, after you visit relic cider go go find that page and we also do have an email address it's hello at relicsider.com what other information can you share that we might not know about apple trees well, if we're talking about, um, you know, pruning apple trees and collecting cyan wood, I think a lot of people may not know that, you know, within each apple, there's typically five seeds. And each one of those five seeds makes a totally different apple from the parent. Amazing. And so the only the only way to perpetuate an apple variety is to graft it. But if you think about, um, you know, an apple tree having, you know, 300 apples, five seeds, you know, that are all different from the parent. So that's, we have all these wild apples and they're, they're all different. And so you may find a wild apple that you want to graft and keep going. And that's how basically all apple varieties started. So I think that's pretty cool. I can't imagine how they figured that out. I think it's so brilliant. Yeah. Grafting, who would have thought? Is it pretty easy to do? Because it makes me nervous when I think about, about it. Will it take... Yeah, I mean it's 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 easier than you'd think, but it is a little bit daunting when you're you're basically cutting a piece of a branch and sticking it onto another tree. It's it's like, is this really going to work? But mm-hmm. uh, it does, and it's fairly easy once you learn the technique. And do you just buy some kind of generic rootstock, or just graft it onto a different tree that you have? I mean, you can buy the rootstock. Uh, Fedco Trees has a great selection, uh, but you know, if you have already have an existing apple tree that you um, in your yard, say, you could collect cyanwood and you could just graft. You could have five different apple varieties grow on that same tree. That's wonderful. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye out for whenever you begin to lead landowner workshops and or if you know of any, and I'll keep those up on the Washington County Almanac. Yeah, great. And then the, the amber color cider that you mentioned, that's actually made with uh, Maine Wild Blueberries from Welsh Farm and Rook Bluffs. Beautiful. Yeah, we're hoping to have that age and condition in bottles for a few months and then begin selling that. And hopefully at the uh, Wild Blueberry Festival next year. That will sell out immediately. That sounds, (laughs) that's going to be a big hit. I can't wait to try it. Charlie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. Thanks for listening today. This will be the first of two apple-centric podcasts here on Way Down East. Tune in later this month for my interview with Maine apple expert, College of the Atlantic professor Todd Little-Siebold, who will share some incredible Washington County apple history with us. And if you're in the mood for some cider and cheese, make plans to attend the Downey Cider and Cheese Festival, which runs November 9th through 12th in Ellsworth. You can find their full schedule of events, which includes live music, cheese making, cider pressing, and a tasting market by visiting heartofellsworth.org. And on Friday evening at the Ellsworth Public Library, you can attend a talk between Todd Little Siebold and John Bunker, one of the nation's preeminent apple experts. It runs from 6 to 7.30, and they're going to be talking about the incredible uh, history of apples that they're tracing through DNA now. This has been the Way Down East podcast. To learn more, visit www.washingtoncountyalmanac.com.